I'm always grateful for the many ways that, uh, that our staff, our clergy team, find to connect children with, with the gospel and with the Bible and, and with the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so grateful for that. Thank you. And I would be uh, remiss if I didn't offer on behalf of the entire church a word of thanks to our archives and history team for their tireless work to get us here today. Uh, so many people uh, have gone into um, the wee hours of, of the morning and late at night and, and done so much to make uh, the celebrations of our 190th birthday possible, and I'm so grateful uh, for them. Uh, Lynn Fraser and uh, Ben McDavid is a part of that team, and Liz Land and Bill Richardson and Ellen Hallman and, and so many others have been a part of that team. We've, we've been thinking about the power of a story And so two weeks ago, I asked you to think about your story. What's your story? Where are those markers, those defining moments in your life where you know God was changing your heart? And then how are you sharing that with somebody else? Uh, By the same token, other people have a story to share. They have moments in their lives where uh, God has been working and we can listen and we can share stories. And it's in those moments that the the, the light of Christ is kindled and fanned within us. So what's your story? Last week, we talked about our story, our collective story, building up to 190 years in ministry right here in Montgomery, Alabama. Some of the stories uh, from our people is fa- are found in this production called uh, Voices. It's also their faces, lots of wonderful stories and pieces in here. These are available to you uh, through our archives and and history folks. You can call the office and make those, and you can get those. Uh, Those will be available. But what's your story, and what's our story? And for today, as we think about the next chapter of our story, where will our story lead us? Our text, as indicated in your order of worship, is from the book of Joshua. Last week, we... We thought about this river crossing event. The waters parted. The riverbed was dry. We took 12 stones. They set up 12 stones and said, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? You'll tell them that God has been faithful. Just prior to that is the inauguration, the commissioning of Joshua, signaling the end of of one chapter and the beginning of another chapter. Where will the story lead? Listen for the word of the Lord. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead, so now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, All of the land of the Hittites to the great sea in the west, all of that shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so now I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to your ancestors to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, 
so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall be successful. So I hereby command you, says Yahweh, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some of our students will know this, and by now maybe some of our youth, but at Vacation Bible School and at Camp Lee, we teach our children very early on one of my favorite songs. And it has hand motions. You want to do them together today? Maybe not. It says, be bold and be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Some of you all know this song. It says, I am not afraid. No, no, no. Yeah, that's it. You all are invited to vacation Bible school this year, right? Yeah. Very early on in our children's story, we teach them this fantastic song. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Why? Because throughout the biblical narrative, the most common theme, the most recurring theme in some variation says just that. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not fear. It's certainly the phrase that Jesus used more than anything. And with everything that is going on in our world and and in our lives and with all that is trying to divide us, with everything that gosh, it's coming at us saying you need to be scared of this or that it is fearful or the headlines that we read, the most what does it mean that the people of faith have this, this common thread, this refrain that keeps surfacing in the biblical narrative that says, do not be afraid. Strong. In a couple of weeks, Jillian and, and Lucas and I, we will be traveling by plane to a conference in these United States. And then a few days after that, my dear Susan Cooper and I will be traveling somewhere, yet to be determined, for our 25th wedding anniversary. That means I'll be on an airplane twice. Now, that's usually more than I fly an entire year, and it's going to happen in, in the span of a few days. I'm reminded of something Lynn Sweet says about traveling. He says, it's hard enough to travel, but why, do the airline industries, why does the airline industry have to scare us to death with their terminology? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're driving to the airport and you're trying to find your exit and you get to the place where you, you're about to offload and, and, and kiss somebody goodbye and you set your baggage out. What is that called? The terminal. Why is it called the terminal? Yeah. Or the, the, the attendant comes over the loudspeaker and says, we're making our final descent. Huh? <laughs> or we're coming in for our final approach. Or don't move until we make a, a complete stop. Well, what's an incomplete stop? <laughs> right? Every step of life is part of our story. And for 190 years, we've been on the move not to a terminal, not, not to our final destination, not to make our final approach, not even coming to a complete stop because we're the church and we're always on the move. Brian McLaren 
picks up on that, that same kind of analogy, and he, he often talks about how we call an airport a terminal, but when somebody lands at, at Atlanta's International Airport, that's not their permanent residence. They don't live there. <laughs> I hope they don't, right? You stop, you refuel, you recharge. It's kind of like a touch and go. You following me? And so McLaren says the church is that way, that no church is designed to be a terminal destination, or we're not ever supposed to come to a complete stop. We're set to do a touch and go, to stop long enough to refuel, to recharge, to reconnect, and then to take off again, back out into the wild blue yonder of God's mission field. And one of the truths that we fuel up on every time we come to worship, every time we connect with each other in small groups, every time we serve alongside one another in our community or around the world, one of the things that we absorb, that we refuel and, and charge up with is this phrase, do not be afraid. Wherever you go, I am with you. I have to wonder if that was a difficult message for these early people of God to, to hear. In the book of Exodus, we're told in Exodus 12, that 600,000 men warriors, male warriors, came up out of Egypt, not counting their, their women, uh, their wives, their children. Uh, so conservative estimates, maybe it's 1.2 million people came through the Exodus. I don't know. Nobody was there. I certainly wasn't there. But let's have fun with that number and do a little bit of math. How about that? At 600,000 men over the age of 20, warrior age or whatever, plus wives and children, conservatively, 1.2 million people wandered around the desert for 40 years. There's 14,600 days in a 40-year period. If we account for 12 hours of daylight, then Moses and Aaron and Joshua and other leaders would have officiated 85 funerals per day or seven funerals per hour, including every Sabbath for 38 and a half years. They need a Joseph ministry. Yeah. Do you think they were afraid? Do you think that, that they had seen family and friends come and, and go? And here they are on this precipice. Here they are at this, this river-crossing moment in their story. Where will their story lead? It reminds me of the great cathedrals uh, in Europe uh, several hundred years ago, four or five hundred years it takes to build uh, these cathedrals. And so you set out at a certain point in time and the stonemasons come in and they start laying the foundation. They start building the columns. They know they will never see that cathedral completed. So the next generation of their family comes in and builds on top of the stones that were laid before them. And then the next generation. And 400 years later, from the time it was started to the time it's completed, there, there's so much space in there that, that those who started it never saw the completion of that story, but they always had the future they always had the future in mind, and they took a bold step and a courageous step. So I'm wondering how this, this new generation of Joshua's would have felt. I'm wondering how Joshua himself would have felt 400 years in Egyptian slavery, 40 years of wandering and hiking in the wilderness, the ebb and the flow, the highs and the lows of, of God's people. And all of a sudden, they're asking, do we press forward? Do we trust our way or, or God's way? Will we revert back to something we know or press forward into, into the, the unknown? Will Joshua do as good a job as the leaders before him? How will this story play out? Where will this story lead? All of which to God says, 
Be bold. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. And I think that's, that's something, a statement that we need to make at the turn of all of our defining moments. It's certainly true in the biblical narrative. Time and again, from Eden to Calfgate to Bathsheba Gate to the time that an angel spoke to an unwed teenager in a 250-person town called Nazareth and said, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. What? Where's that story going to lead? Oh, yeah. It leads to an empty cross and an empty tomb and to the words of a Savior who says, be of good cheer. I've overcome it all. And the first words that we hear on resurrection morning, do not be afraid. He is not here. He is risen. So to be a part of of God's story means that, yeah, we have these markers in our story as well. Mountains and valleys, rivers and gorges. In 1829, when when we became a congregation in downtown Court Street where the now federal courthouse sits, there's a marker there indicating as such. From 1829, we started this journey. And we endured the difficult times of the Civil War. We moved locations here to 1929, and we endured the Great Depression. We made it through with this city, the Civil Rights Movement, And all throughout these touchstone moments, if we're listening to these stones, if we're reading our story, we can hear God say, be bold, be strong, I'm with you. It's part of our story. And that's predicated on two very significant truths. One is that God will make good on God's promises. And two, that God has and is and will always be with us wherever we go along this journey. So why fear? Well, fear becomes a threshold, dividing us from where we are and where we've been to where God would have us to go. It becomes this this threshold, and we're afraid to act because we're we're scared of of taking on a risk or taking on a challenge, or we're scared of what, what people might say. We're scared to sign up for a Bible study because maybe we don't know as much as the person in the study next to us. Well, guess what? They're saying the same thing, so just put the fear aside and and dive right in. Or we, we fight it, or we find ourselves in flight, or we find ourselves freezing. You know that about our social behavior. Well, our theological, our spiritual lives, they, they work the same way. We fight the convictions of the Holy Spirit on our hearts, or we run from God's call to action, or we're paralyzed by the false narrative that this world gives us, that we can be our own God and create our own kingdoms. That paralyzes us. So there's a threshold between our story and where our story will lead us. But at every moment, God intervenes and initiates something new. Here's the good news, that God is a God who continues to recall and to recollect and to remember because God continues to redeem God is not finished with us yet, even after 190 years in this city. We've grown up with this city. Montgomery will celebrate her 200th birthday in December. She's 10 years older than we are. We've grown up together. We've seen some challenges. But I believe with the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit that the best, the best is always ahead of God's people. 
So I think that like the ancients, we stand on these traditions of faith and these hallowed walls, but we peek into the future and we ask, where are you leading us, God? We'll step out by faith if we're daring enough. But like the ancients, we stand on these traditions and we prepare ourselves each week for worship and we carry the light of Christ and we follow the cross and it brings us into worship and then we turn right back around and, and the cross and the light of Christ lead us back into the, into the world because we're reminded to take up our cross daily and, and to follow Christ out into the world and that there's places of darkness that still exist in this world that need the light and the hope of Jesus Christ. And so we come down this center aisle just as, as sure as we came into worship. We follow we follow where the cross and the light of Christ will, will lead us. But if any of us who arrive at worship each and every week, if we leave the same way that we came, we've missed something. We've missed an opportunity to cross into something new boldly and courageously. So I want you to know that there's a couple of groups after whom I, I try to model my own discipleship, my own faith, and who have helped shape my story and my narrative. Several groups in this church have done that, but, but I want to take just a moment to talk about this wonderful, wonderful class called the Tower Class. The Tower Class was formed in, in 1946. It, they were a group of young adults, and they decided they wanted to form a Wesleyan small group, so they met over here in the Tower. That's how they got their name, but what our history books also tell us is that at one point, they were called the Church's Marriage Bureau. Pat, i got to know more about that story. <laughs> Since day one, the Tower class has led with boldness and courage by being a class committed to generosity. And they do so by serving the needy in our community, especially those in emergency situations. And they support all of the community community ministries of this church each and every day, each and every week, with their bold courage. The men's Wesley class, it began in 1947, and they decided that they wanted to lead boldly and courageously by helping with the children's home and disaster relief and scholarships to seminary students. They took a bold step forward, a courageous step forward, and have for all of these years. And Gosh, throughout their story from time to time, that men's class would be asked to move. We'd need the chapel for various reasons, and they were in uh, the fellowship hall at one point. They've moved all over the place, and every time they've said, we'll do whatever the church needs. Whatever the church needs, that's important to us. Tower class, whatever the church needs, that's what we're going to do. And so long before this impact initiative even began, the tower class began saying, whatever the church needs, we're here for the for the church. And they began to think about, well, what would it look like if we, if we offered our space, our Sunday school room for the next generation of disciples to come through here? If, you, if you've ever been to the Tower class, I invite you to go to the Tower class during the Sunday school hour. Uh, if, you, if you know how hollow, hallowed and sacred that, that space is and that, that time is, then you know what a big sacrificial step it is for the Tower class to, to now say, as we move forward in this impact initiative, we have the future in mind and we're willing to give our space to children. To children. So I want to say a personal word of thanks 
to this amazing group of leaders, several of whom are here somewhere at our 845 worship service. This tower class, the pillars of this church in so many ways continue to lead this congregation and all of Methodism. And I just want to say a word of thanks for your bold and courageous leadership and how much we all love you so much. Thank you for all that you do. Helen Giese is a member of the Tower class. Helen Giese was here at our early service and then in the fellowship hall for the, the celebrations that were there. Helen Giese passed one of those shovels that I shared with you during the announcement. She passed it to one of our children. Helen Giese is our remaining member uh, who came over from Court Street Methodist to this church. Now, she's very quick to tell you that she hasn't been here for 100 years in this church. <laughs> but Helen Giese came over. And when I talked to Helen this week, I asked her if she wanted to speak, and she's so humble, she said, no, you just say a few words for me. So I said, okay, I got that. Helen wanted you to know that ever since her family came to, uh, from Court Street to Cloverdale, for all these years, that this church has been her life, that, that their defining moments happen here. Baptisms, first communions, confirmation, weddings, funerals. She and, and Jim, they began working with our youth program. They poured themselves into our youth. I, I told her she, there's still a spot if they want to come help, if she wants to come help with the youth program, she probably would. They got so involved in missions through this local church and even started several. Helen Giese said what, I, what she wants this church to know is that they oriented their family, their entire world, their entire life, all every day of the week around this church because they come to recharge and to refuel and then to deploy and to make a difference. So I'm grateful for Helen as well. In our history book, this Hold Fast to the Faith, there's a story that I want to read to you, and I think it's so important. At the groundbreaking ceremony on our education wing over here in 1929, there was one particular incident where it says that Dr. McKay was very responsive to the people, especially small children. The Miss George Thompson had told her children of the approaching event which would mark the beginning of work on the new church. And her five-year-old son, Edward, who loved to go to church with his mother, he accompanied her that Sunday afternoon. And as they left the house, she noticed that he was carrying the shovel from the sand pile, and she asked him why. He replied that he was going to, quote, dig for the church. So Dr. McKay found out the child's intent, and he called his own four-year-old daughter, Betty, to join Edward, and then made it possible for each child to dig for the church along with the adults. And over here in the cornerstone, there's a time capsule with that photograph. Friends, we stand on those touchstone moments, on those kinds of stories that continue to make an impact in our lives, and as we prepare to renovate this wonderful 
campus that we have here, you're, you're going to see orange cones and caution tape and hard hats and safety vests, and, and we're, we're going to embrace it and have fun with it because we have the future in mind. And we're going to make sure that these facilities are set up for another 190 years of ministry in Montgomery. But we're not going to stop there. We're going to take this impact initiative and say, what kind of impact can we have on Montgomery, Alabama, on our local neighborhood, beyond the scope of even our zip code? But what kind of impact can we continue to make, like the tower classes made, like the men's classes made, like, the, like all of our classes have made, like Helen's family has made, like our children continue to make, what kind of impact will we make next? And I hope, amid it all, through it all, you'll hear these important words. Be bold. Be strong. For the Lord your God is with you. There is no need to be afraid. Friends, with Jesus Christ, the best is always yet to come. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God.